Hey guys, welcome to Sunday Nights at Refuge, a community-focused Bible study that gathers weekly in our Common Ground Cafe. So grab a cup of coffee or tea and your Bible. By the way, you can connect with us on Instagram at Refuge Family. Now, our prayer is that Jesus would use this message to draw you closer to Him. So if you're ready, let's join tonight's study. Open up your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm, Psalm 98 today. Psalm 98, I, uh, Isaac asked me when he first said, hey, you want to teach one of the Psalms? Uh, what do you want to teach? Uh, this was like one of the first ones I thought of because I figured it's in December. There's a little bit of a Christmas feel to this Psalm. Um, and, and so I wanted to go, to go into this one. So I'm going to open up with a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll, we'll kick off the study. Heavenly Father, we come before you and just thank you for what you have done for each and every one of us. Or the very fact that we are alive right now means that you have sustained us and you have kept us and you have provided for us. And so, Lord, as we are entering into the season of, of the holidays of Christmas and, and the stress that so often goes with it, help us, Lord, to be able to focus on you. Help us, Lord, not to lose sight of, of the real reason for this holiday, the real reason for Christmas, that your son was born so that he could die for us. Help us, Lord, to keep that as the focus. As we study tonight, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a story that is true. This isn't like one of those made-up stories that a lot of times pastors just steal from each other and pretend like it's their own. But this is actually a true story about a teenager that was complaining once to his father that all the songs that they were singing in church were boring. He sat down and he's like, every song is outdated. It's tiresome. The tunes are meaningless. And he complained about it so much that his father finally put an end to it and said, if you think you can do better, go write a song. And so the teenager did. He's 16 years old and he went into his room and grabbed some paper, started writing. And the first song that he wrote was When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. His name was Isaac Watts. The year was 1690, and his teenager starts writing these hymns. Isaac Watts wrote a, a number of like the old classic hymns, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, one of the most classic hymns. But there's another one that we sing. It is a hymn, but we sing it as a Christmas carol. We sing it every year, and it's joy to the world. Isaac Watts, he's a teenager, and probably, I think when he wrote that one, he was in his early 20s, but he writes this song of joy to the world, and it was his attempt to take the scripture and put it to music. In fact, it was this psalm right here, Psalm 98, that inspired him to write joy to the world, and it's appropriate, actually, that he did, because many, many scholars, if you read through the different commentaries, will point out that Psalm 98 sounds a lot like the song that Mary sang when she found out that she was about to give birth. She goes and visits her, her, her cousin and sees that she's, Elizabeth is, is, is pregnant as well, and she sings this song. This, uh, they call it the Magnificant. It's this magnificent song that she sings, and it seems like she was really meditating here on Psalm 98. And this is a song that you see that's going to be talking about, yes, the Lord has done great and mighty deeds. Now let's rejoice all of the world because our King is coming. Our king is coming. 
Now, this psalm here, and really joy to the world, if you really read the lyrics to it, speaks more than just about the first coming, speaks more than about the first coming of Christ. But really, the song, Joy to the World, has more to do with Christ's second coming and his eternal reign than it does even first. I heard once, Bill tried to, Pastor Bill tried once to get us to sing Joy to the World in July because he's trying to make this point of, this is a song for all times. It's about his next coming. It was so awkward because nobody else could get into it. But I figured now's the perfect time. It's holidays. It's the, it, it, we need to study about this song. But when you read it and when you sing it this year, when you sing Joy to the World, think about it and look at it and you'll see that there's a lot more talking about he's, he rules the world with truth and grace. You know, and, and there's so much about it that there, there will be no more sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more tears. Well, we still have sin and death and tears. So we're talking about what will be coming. And this psalm right here begins this idea of praise, this praise to the Lord for what he has done. Now, we don't know who wrote this psalm, and it's like one of the shortest introductions. If you read, you know, underneath the, 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 the chapter title there, it sometimes gives some information about who wrote it, a psalm of David, a song of the son of, of Korah. This one just says, a psalm, really short, real sweet. And there's like no notes. It's like titling a song, a song. Could you imagine that, that? What song are you singing? I'm singing a song. I know. What song? A song. That's the name of it. But that's kind of what it is. And he goes in and, and the writer of this psalm says in verse one, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and sounds of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now this psalm was written to praise the Lord for a great victory over Israel's enemies. It was probably uh, when, when the Persians defeated Babylon and they were able to go back to their country, to go back to their homeland. And, and, and so this, this psalm was written as a way of thanking God. And I love how it just starts by saying, like, look, we got to sing a new song. This, none of the old ones are going to be good enough to describe the wonder of this moment, this moment that God set us free from our enemies. This moment where God delivers us out of the hands of, of, of the people who have tried to push us down, the oppressors, the enslavers. I love that the writer of this psalm takes his, his joy and instead of just being like, yeah, that's great, yeah, so awesome, and, and having a party, it's like, no, let's sit down first and praise the Lord and let's praise the Lord together. It's like a giant song of, of just thanksgiving. I was teaching actually in, in, uh, in junior high today about through James. We're just finishing up the book of James, so we're in that passage at the end of the book that talks about prayer. And it says there, you know, if, are, are any of you happy? Then sing songs of praise. 
And that's what this psalmist is doing here. He's so thrilled, excited about the fact that, that they have been set free and they're heading home that he's like, we got to write a new song for it. And he does this. It says that the Lord has done marvelous things. With his, he has worked him with his, his right hand and his holy arm. It's a way of describing somebody doing something with great power. You know, if you're right-handed, you know, the world's built for you right now, right? I mean, the, build is, the world is, is designed for people who are right-handed. It's a sign of power. And if you're left-handed like me, everything seems to be like everyone's against you. Everything's against you. Try, if you're left-handed, if you guys know, try cutting a pair with a pair of scissors. It's not easy, is it? They're designed for right-handed people. It really is. Anyway, the idea of being right, using his right hand, God using his right hand, it's a way of saying that God is, 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 use, is working out with his full power. He reaches out and he says, with my right hand, with the source of my strength, I did this great and mighty deed for you. And so the psalmist here, he's praising God for what he's done. It says, you've worked salvation for him. In verse two, again, it says, the Lord has made his salvation known. Verse three, it mentions the salvation of our God. This is a word that really has less to do with salvation uh, of our soul, eternal salvation, and more of being set free, a victory. God's victory has been accomplished in their lives, and he is singing the psalm out for it. He says, God has done mighty things, great deeds in, in their lives. So let's sing. You know, we need to, when we come to time for, for worship, when we come before, uh, before the altar and worship and we're singing these songs, and we don't just sing songs because it's like, well, this is what we do in church. We sing songs. We're giving glory to God. We're giving praise to him. We're thanking him for what he has done. We need to take the time to do this and, and to do this continually. But it says that, again, God has, has given us the victory. See, what God did for Israel back then was a witness to everyone. And you can see it. It says that in verse 3, again, he has remembered his love, his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Because no other nation up until this point had ever been kicked out of their land, driven out, enslaved, and then come back. This was the first. The nations around him saw as they're coming back into the land after the Persians let them go. They've been in captivity for 70 years. And as they head into the land and they have been set free, the nations around them saw. And some were worried if you read through Nehemiah and, and Ezra and you read through those books, you see that there was a couple of nations that came around and saw what, what had happened and they're like, this is not good. We need to destroy them. We need to drive them back down. But God preserved them still and is again is singing these psalms and saying the entire world now has seen how God has been good to us. God, it says, has remembered his love, remembered his promises, if you guys read the second half of the book of Isaiah from like chapter 40 on to chapter 66, it's like the first 39 chapters, it's all judgment. Everyone's going to die. Everyone's got judgment coming. They're going to get wiped out. This is going to get a plague. And it's a lot of judgment. And then all of a sudden chapter 40 comes around and it's, it sounds like it's almost a totally different book. And there's peace promised and restoration promised 
and amazing prophecies given about a coming Savior that would save the day. And you see this in this, in this passage here even, that, that God has remembered all of those promises He made. All the promises He made to the nation of Israel that they would return, that He would save them. He has remembered them. He has brought them back in. And this is a cause for great celebration there in Israel. Israel's called to celebrate. And so the command goes out. Look at verse 4. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. There was singing. There was their version of the guitar with the harp. They even had trumpets. It's like a ska band or a punk band, right? I mean... Jazz, I don't know. I, I kind of don't see jazz as being the super excited, like, yeah, it's, you know, I grew up on ska. When I was in high school, that was what we listened to. So uh, when it's like the trumpet blast, I'm like, yes, all right, I got this. I know exactly what that sounds like. We're commanded to do that. I love that idea that it's not just some organ quietly in the background, at, at, that worship for God is something that is supposed to be loud and boisterous and noisy. And he's like, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Shout for joy, right? That translates a, a, a Hebrew phrase that basically means, woohoo, let's do this, okay? Not really, but close enough, okay? But that's the idea, saying the Lord has done this great and mighty thing. So let's rejoice and sing about it. It is so easy. I want I, the Part of the reason I love this around this time of year to look at these Psalms, and there's a series of them that, that are right in a row, like 96 all the way to 99, that really kind of speak about these things, about rejoice. Because we're looking for joy. The world is looking for joy at this time of year. It's one of the th few things that they've got left that they, you know, when you put up a sign, it doesn't matter if it's a, 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 com a commercial place, the mall will put up signs in different places that just say joy. They won't say Jesus anymore, but they'll say joy, right? The world is looking for joy and we sing joy to the world and, and where do we find it? We find it in what the Lord, looking back and, and at what the Lord has already done in our lives. So shout for joy. Why? Because of what the Lord has done. It's so easy to be caught up in the, in, the, in the schemes of this world where they're just sitting there telling you, you will be joyful, you will be happy if you drop all your money on Black Friday or Cyber Monday. I mean, we are talking the younger generation here. So Cyber Monday. Who, who, anybody go shopping on Black Friday? Okay, I see a, hand, a couple of hands. Anybody go for any of the Cyber Monday deals? Okay, a few more. Nobody? Really? No? Just a few? Okay. I, I can't... I don't know. The idea of Black Friday actually angers me. I, this is totally off topic here. But it angers me because we just spend an entire day thanking God for all the wonderful things He has done in our lives. And then we, less than 12 hours later, are pushing people down so we can get a bigger TV right? We've taken the, one of the greatest holidays we actually have, Thanksgiving, is my absolute favorite holiday to celebrate because we give thanks to God and I get to eat. And when I'm done eating, I eat some more and it's okay because it's Thanksgiving. You knew realize that, right? 
Anybody, if anybody felt guilty and felt gluttonous on Thanksgiving Day, just remember that God said, if you give a Thanksgiving offering to me, you had one day to eat the entire cow, okay? You had a day to eat the offering that you gave. You can't just eat up, all right, I think I'm done. I've had, I've had one serving. No, you're eating, right? It's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and celebration. It's totally fine. Anyway, but we take that day and we ruin it because we're convinced now that after spending all night saying what we're thankful for, that we need more stuff. Lord, thank you for all these things. Thank you for this family around this table. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for this country and the freedoms you have. Get out of my way. I'm getting $50 off that flat screen TV. But we should look back. We should give thanks to God for what he has done in our lives. And it says to make a joyful noise. Make a loud noise. Rejoice. Sing praises. Get out the full band. And give praise to God. And who are we doing this for? We're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for our King. Because he reigns. He's on the throne. He's in control. The devil's not in charge. President Trump isn't in charge. The Democrats aren't in charge. The Republicans aren't in charge. Our future's not left to some random fate. There is a king on the throne, and he is our God. So let's praise the Lord for that. We can get all caught up in all the drama of the elections. Whether you're happy or sad over what's happened in the, in, in the midterms here, it doesn't matter. They're not my king. Jesus is my king. <laughs> I love, uh, you know what? Because you're like, I love it. Thank you. You're like, yes! There's a song that, uh, from KB where I think it's like, I love, yes, I love my kingdom more than I love my nation. I love my kingdom more than I love my nation. I belong to the king. I'm his ambassador. I work for him. But he calls us to worship, to call out and praise him. But then he doesn't just end there. In verse 7, he goes on. And instead of just this joyous celebration, he, he's like, you know what? Let's, let's not just stop with us singing. Let's get the entire world involved in the worship of God. Verse 7 again, it says, Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. The psalmist has written about, about the Lord as, as our deliverer. Our salvation. He's written about the Lord as our king, and now he's presenting him as the judge who will one day come and deal with the world as he once dealt with the kingdom of Babylon. He delivered Israel from bondage. He had heard the nations of the world praising the Lord, and now he says, all creation, let's join in. And so the psalmist talks about it and is, is crying out for the day when nature itself rejoices in being set free from its bondage, its decay. Because at that point, the second coming of Christ, we, we will see the entire 
creation redeemed. Right now we're seeing individuals redeemed. Individuals are being saved. Individuals, one day we will see the entire creation, the entire universe set free from the bondage created by Adam's fall. Romans 8 talks about this. I'm going I'm to turn to Romans 8 if you want to follow me there. Romans 8 is one of those books that's just, or one of those chapters that's like, I want to memorize the whole thing. And really, I should have already by now. I mean, there's no excuse. This is a great chapter. But in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It's just saying here right now that that the entire world, when Adam sinned, the entire world since then has suffered, has been under bondage, has been under decay. It's been subjected to frustration. It's not working the way it's supposed to be. The world is not working the way that God initially designed it to be. There's a whole debate on whether global warming is man-made or natural. I'm just going to say this. The problems we see in this world are caused by man. It says so right here. By Adam's sin, he messed up the world. We're living in a fallen world. We have disease. We have famine. We have plagues. We have pestilence. We have droughts. We have floods. We have hurricanes. Adam's fault. If Adam is in heaven... Join me in the line that will want to kick him right in the pants, right? I mean, seriously, he's done enough damage. But it says that God subjected the world under it as well. In verse 22, it goes on to say, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul's basically saying, look, we're crying out. We're crying out and waiting for the day where not just us, but the entire world is saved and redeemed. We don't have it yet, but we have hope. We have hope for that day. That day is coming where he's set free and the, and the entire creation sings for joy. I don't know, I'm sure that they mean this just figuratively, that even in the new heaven and earth, I, I'm, I don't think that they mean that the rivers are literally going to be singing, and, but I hope it's true. Could you imagine how awesome that would be if you're walking? I mean, I love going out on, on, on just a nice hike, going up in the mountains, going on a hike, crossing the streams, going getting amazing views. Could you imagine you get up to the top of the mountain and you're like, wow, and then all of a sudden you hear the rocks are crying out, hallelujah. 
ah, you know, just imagine, I mean, that would be, that would be awesome. But he cries out here, and it's, it, it, in verse 4 through 6, again, back in Psalms, it was talking about how he's waiting for the whole band, the whole worship team to join in, and everybody else, and all the nations of the world joining in. And now, we're going to have to have some major symphony going on if we're going to compete against the rivers and the mountains crying out and praising God. Let the sea resound and everything in it the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy. The whole forces of nature are called to take part in the worship of God here. Crying out, the king is coming. The king is coming. And there will come a day when all the wrongs will be righted and all sins will be judged and the judge will bring justice and peace to this earth. And that's why in that psalm, in, in Joy to the World, we, we sing, He rules the world with truth and grace. We're crying out and waiting for that day. So why should the world erupt with praise? It comes down to this right here, that last bit, that He is coming to judge the world. We could see, this is where it gets a little interesting, because we could see worshiping God and praising Him for our salvation. We could worship him and praise him for for setting us free and 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 being our king but praising him because he's going to judge us and judge the world that one's a little harder isn't it it's a little harder i think because we're probably a little scared of standing before the throne ourselves. But here's the thing, as believers, we have nothing to be scared about, about the judgment of Christ. For ourselves, there is no fear. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been set free. Christ's death on the cross has bought it, 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 the, the victory, it says in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15, oh death, where is your victory? It's gone. It's gone. There is no victory because Christ has defeated it. But the one day, one day the world will be judged. But it will be judged in righteousness, in truth, in fairness. Do you imagine what it would be like if actual justice was served in our land? It will come. It will come. When you read the book of Revelation, you see the terrible judgment that will be coming upon this earth. When Christ returns, it's not going to be coming as a... That, that moment for the world is not going to be a pleasant moment. As the nations gather to try and fight off Jesus... Not wise. It's going to be a day of judgment, a day of wrath against all who've rejected God's offer of salvation. Those who, who, who follow after the, the spirit of this world. It's going to be, though, a day of rejoicing for those who have called upon the name of the Lord. Our righteous and holy king is coming again to make things right and establish his kingdom here on earth. When you sing the song this season, when you sing Joy to the World, 
Let it be in your mind a reminder that the second coming is just as sure, just as promised as the first was. The promises and prophecies that were given concerning the birth of Jesus, astronomical. Honestly, the odds that all of them are being fulfilled, unbelievable. What's the same God that promised that Christ was going to come has promised that he will come back, that he will return. The same Savior who was born as a, as a baby there in Bethlehem will one day return as King of King and Lord of Lords. And you know what's funny? If you really, if you know the history of, of like our nation and some of the things, our government actually acknowledges this. Because if you go into the Library of Congress, I was there last year, and right in the, in the central dome of the Library of Congress, there's this engraving around it. It actually says, one God, one law, one element, one far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves. It says that there is coming a day of judgment. The, all of creation is coming towards it. All of redemptive history is leading to this one conclusion that Jesus will reign as King and Lord. And on that day, he will judge mankind. And the great thing about it is it says here that he will judge fully and he will judge fairly. He will judge the entire world and it will be absolutely fair. I couldn't teach on this without, of course, bringing up one of my greatest passions, and that's missions. When Christ returns, there are going to be a lot of people who will be judged, who will not have put their hope in Jesus Christ. And it's our call as a church to go to those nations, to those people, and share Christ with them. To share Christ as our Savior, to share Christ as our King, so that they do not have to meet Christ as their judge. When we look and we see what this whole world right now is talking about missions, the entire world is debating on whether or not you know, that John Chow was, was, was wise in what he did or unwise. The whole world is discussing this. He was going to share the gospel with the tribe of people that without hearing the gospel will go to hell apart from Jesus Christ. That's a hero to me. Somebody who decided, I count, he counted the cost. He looked at the risks. He knew what was going on. He wanted people to meet Jesus as their Savior and King, not as a judge. And there are people around the world that still need to hear this gospel message. There are people in this neighborhood that need to hear this gospel message. We need to go forth and share it with the world. We cry out and we praise God. He came to set us free. And we're sitting around at Christmas, 
And we're celebrating the fact that Christ came. Let's just take at least a moment during that holiday season to think about those that are lost, that haven't heard of Jesus Christ. But even for us here in this room, we need to make sure that we truly know Jesus as our Savior and as our King. We cannot stand before God when he returns. We cannot stand before God and say, well, I'm better than this person over here, or I did more good deeds than bad deeds. The Bible actually says that nothing we do counts. Isaiah actually calls all of our works as filthy rags, the trash. Everything that we try and do in this world apart from Christ to to please him, to, to give him honor, to be like, oh God, I'm so good. Look how great I am. Really, it's all about us. It's not even about God. But he calls it rags, trash. We can't stand before God based on what we have done, what we have accomplished. We must come to him, the Bible says, through faith in Jesus. We must come to him with Jesus as our savior, as Jesus as our king, or we will meet him as our judge. By his mighty hand, God has secured salvation for each and every one of us. He suffered and bled and died for us. We must repent of our sins. We must turn from it and go, God, I've tried. I've tried tried to, to please you with all of these things. I can't do it. And come to him and trust in what he has done. or we will stand before him in judgment. The choice is before us. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Do we come to him as our savior and as our king? Do we take the message to those who still need Jesus as their savior and as their king? Do we remain silent? I want to encourage you guys to at least get out and start praying for the missionaries that are out on the field. We've got all those mission cards. If you go around the corner, there's all the new mission cards for all of our missionaries. We've got people all over the world sharing the gospel with people. People in the Middle East, Central America, Europe, Australia. Start praying for them. Start praying about going. Start praying about these things, but don't let it go by where you're not going out. And, and if you're like, I could never go, man, I'm, I can't go. Great. What about your neighbors across the street? What about your neighbors, next door neighbors? What about the person, if you live in an apartment or a dorm, that's in the next dorm right next to you? The next apartment. What about the people you encounter at Starbucks, at Pete's, at, at wherever you get your coffee? What about the people you work with? What about your family? Anybody else think that that's probably the hardest people to share with? Isn't it worth, though, getting a little uncomfortable sharing with them so that they may know Jesus as their Savior and their King? He died for us. He died for the world. 
We must come to him. The worship team's going to come back up now, and we're going we're gonna to be partaking of communion tonight. And so while they're going through this song, we're going to take the time to, to, to think about this. The Bible actually talks about how we need to, to, to examine our hearts, examine ourselves, because we don't want to come to this and treat this as like it's nothing. Communion is something that's extremely important, and it's very important that we look and make sure that we're not coming and just being like, all right, here we go, all right, we're done. But we truly honor what God has done. And communion is a memory, a reminder of what the Lord has done in our lives. And it also, as according to, to, to 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about we are called to do it until he comes. So it's a looking back to the first coming. It's a looking forward to the second glorious coming. So while they are leading us in this song, take the time to look at what the Lord has done in your own lives and give him glory. Raise up a shout of joy for him. This has been a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com or call 714-891-9495. Set free my heart, set free my soul. I don't want to be a prisoner no more. Unlock the door. That holds me in This is the day that life begins Set free my heart Set free my soul I don't want to be a prisoner no more No more Unlock the door That holds me in. This is the day that life